Good morning. So I'm actually less nervous about the sermon than I was about the child dedication. So uh, just always, always little things to forget. So, well, this morning uh, we're jumping back into, or actually continuing on with our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, we're talking about finding joy in the right places. And I think this is an obvious statement, but uh, joy is something that everybody wants in their lives. And uh, most of us will try just about anything that we can to try and bring joy into our lives. There's a recent study uh, that was done the last couple years, and the results were published uh, in MIT's Sloan Management Review. And the article shows that after a bunch of research, happiness doesn't necessarily come from places that we often think it will. Uh, the study began by asking the question, which comes first, uh, success or happiness? And The researchers, and I think most people in general, would probably conclude that that success would come and it would lead to happiness. But the research found, as you probably are going to guess here, that it was actually the other way around, that happiness was the thing that ended up producing success in the lives of the people that they studied. Uh, They say that uh, happiness or joy comes from a combination of things like physical activity, uh, relationships, hobbies, gratitude, and being in service to others. Now, I love looking at studies like this because so often uh, what modern researchers are telling us are things that the Bible has been saying for thousands of years. Uh, they really confirm things that we should have known are true for a long time. Uh, and in this case, what they're telling us is that often joy and happiness come from places that we don't think they'll come from, and they often don't, it often doesn't come from places that we hope it would. Uh, If you've ever had buyer's remorse, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's when you buy something you think is going to really just do it for you, and then it doesn't. So uh, when I was in high school, I played in a rock and roll cover band, and for the longest time, I knew that if there's this one amplifier I could just get my hands on, I would have the guitar sound. Uh, And so I saved my money for months, uh, and we didn't make a whole lot per hour back in the 80s. And so... Saved it for months, finally had enough money to buy this amplifier, so I ordered it from the guitar shop. I had to wait another couple weeks for it to come in. It comes in. I drive over to the shop, bring it home, set it up, hook up all my gear, <clears throat> plug the guitar in, turn it on, and it sounds awful. And I'm like, oh, no. All right, hang on, hang on. So, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the picture went up, didn't it? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's always... <laughs> Some long hair shots are always good for a laugh, right? <clears throat> So, and that's the actual amplifier. Um, it wasn't just any amplifier. It was a Marshall 100-watt head. Uh, so if you know anything about rock and roll in the 80s, the Marshall amplifier was the sound of 80s rock and roll. And I knew if I had one of these, it would change my sound life. But like I said, I got it home. I get this thing to try and work, and it sounds awful. And so I'm tweaking. I think, okay, well, let me tweak some knobs here and adjust some things. And every minute that goes by, it's not getting any better. And I'm starting to sweat, and probably, like, if I realized what it was today, I, I was having a panic attack, because I just spent, like, over $600 on what now is a 30-pound paperweight, right? Um, and I'm like, how, how did this let me down? And so in that moment, I had this experience of, I thought my guitar joy was going to be found in this place that completely let me down. And this happens to us all the time. 
Uh, Side note, end of the story, after like a couple days of fiddling and adding a couple extra things in, I did get it to sound great. But uh, in the moment, I had that same feeling that we've all had when something we hope brings us joy just totally lets us down. And in the series that we're doing here, we want to offer... Uh, potential sources of joy that have a way better chance of coming through for us than material possessions um, or guitar amplifiers. So, okay, good, that picture's gone. Um, I have, we have more, and Jenny, every once in a while, like, lets those come out, and people always love them. So, um, <clears throat> This morning, as we continue through uh, our study, one of the things that we're going to look at here on the first part of the letter to the Philippians Uh, is a source of joy that does have a better chance of coming through for us. Um, And when Paul uh, identifies one of these sources of joy, we should should pay attention. Uh, So you guys just read the passage a few minutes ago. It's Philippians 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, So I'm not going to reread it for you, but I'm going to work through it uh, chunk by chunk, and you guys will probably see the verses on the the screen behind me. So verses 1 and 2, we see some really just common elements to any uh, ancient Greek or Roman letter. Uh, First is a statement of who wrote the letter. So we hear Paul and Timothy, uh, servants of Jesus Christ as the authors. Uh, And then a declaration of who the letter is sent to, the recipients. Uh, So we get to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons. So the church at Philippi and their leaders. Uh, And then that's followed by a short greeting, uh, which is very common Paul writes, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, So then we jump to the next section of the letter, which is called the Thanksgiving and Prayer section of the letter. And this was actually uh, not unique to Christian letters uh, of ancient times. Almost all letters had something like this. I do think uh, the New Testament authors maybe expanded this section. It got a little bit longer than uh, what your your average letter would. but it, it gives us a little bit of insight into what's going to come later. So the Thanksgiving and prayer section does not necessarily contain the meat of the message that the author has for his recipients. Uh, that's usually reserved for the body, which is the big chunk that comes after this. But it doesn't mean that what's here is not important. In fact, often uh, the author will use this section to sort of hint at or foreshadow things he's going to talk about later on uh, in the book. And so I think there's some good stuff for us to, to grab a hold of here this morning. <clears throat> In verse 3, Paul says that he thanks God every time he remembers the Philippians, which, so that goes with the Thanksgiving theme, right? He's thanking God for them. And then in verse 4, he says that in all his prayers for them, he prays for them with joy. And here, he's obviously shifted to the prayer section of the, the, the part that we're in. But he's also introduced our theme for the morning, which is joy. And it's interesting because there was something about his friends in Philippi that caused him to be joyful when he thought of them, when he prayed for them. And in the next verse, we find out what that is. Uh, In verse 5, Paul says that he could pray with joy because of what he calls the Philippians' partnership in the gospel with him from the first day until now. So this phrase, partnership with the gospel, is kind of a a loaded uh, phrase. There's a lot that's going into it, so I want to try and unpack that for a minute. Uh, First, when we see see the word gospel, uh, what that means is the good news about Jesus and how we can have new and eternal life in him. So Paul's partnership with the Philippian believers 
at minimum, includes the idea that they've embraced Jesus as the Messiah. They have believed in him and found new and eternal life in him. But I think there's probably more going on here than just that. Uh, I think it's also likely that his partnership with them includes their work in taking the good news of Jesus to others in their city and in surrounding communities. And when we consider uh, this phrase, well, so Brett did a great job last week of kind of walking through what it looked like when Paul first went to Philippi and the opposition that they experienced when they first tried to bring the message of Jesus to the people of that city and how the, the people rallied around them and helped them out. <clears throat> and so, uh, so I think this work of partnering with Paul to get the message of Jesus out is also part of this partnership in the gospel that he's talking about. The last part of the phrase here says that they part with them from the first day until now. And so uh, I think Brett mentioned last week that this letter was written probably 10 years after Paul first visited Philippi. And so somehow over the course of these last 10 years, between the writing and the sending of the letter, or the, the visit and the sending of the letter, the Philippian church has been continually involved in the work of the gospel. And whether that's been uh, just things that Paul has heard, either from people who traveled from there to him, uh, or through the grapevine, uh, he knows that they've continued to be involved with him for the last 10 years. And so, <clears throat> so you've got their belief in the gospel, you've got their working with him uh, to spread the message of the gospel, but then we also find out that there's more to their partnership. So in chapter 2, uh, we're going to meet a man named Epaphroditus, uh, which that's one of those hard to say, 10 times fast kind of names. Um, and we're going to find out that Epaphroditus was sent from the church in Philippi to Rome to visit Paul while he was in prison, and they, he brought with him a financial gift to support Paul. In fact, uh, one of the main reasons that Paul's writing this letter at all is to thank the Philippian church for giving this financial gift to him. Uh, so they're supporting him financially in his work, and as Brett, uh, as Brett mentioned last week, this isn't the first time that they've done that. The Philippian church uh, had this reputation of giving generously to the work of the good news. And so, so as Paul thinks back uh, on this kind of 10-year partnership that he's had with these people, uh, it brings up really fond memories for him, and, and he, he gets really excited about his relationship with, with these people. Um, he tells us why he's excited about his relationship with them and their work in the gospel in verse 6. Uh, there Paul writes that he's confident that he who began a good work in you, in other words, God, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, uh, some commentators, when they consider the phrase good work, uh, they think it only refers to the Philippians believing the message of Jesus for themselves uh, and experiencing life in Christ on their own. And if that's all it means, then that's still reason to be joyful and to celebrate because that's a wonderful thing for anybody to experience. But I think <clears throat> that the good work that Paul's referring to actually also includes this work of spreading the good news of Jesus to others in their community and the surrounding areas. Uh, I think Paul is convinced that the seed of the gospel that was planted in the hearts of the Philippian believers and in their community that they live in is something that God is going to grow to completion over time. And eventually, it's going to result in the maturity of the Philippian believers and their faith. And it's also going to result in 
more and more people in their city and surrounding areas coming to know and follow Jesus. And that sounds like something that's really worth being joyful over. Uh, and I, I want to point out a, an encouraging note. I'm going to take a sort of sidestep from the main story here. Uh, concerning our own situation, I think we have reason to, have, uh, to be encouraged and be joyful as well. Uh, I believe that there's a good work that God has begun among us here at New Cove that he plans to bring to completion until the day that Jesus returns. He is at work in our lives and the lives of the people around us to get the good news of Jesus out. And so he's not done with us. And in a season of leadership transition, I think that's really great news. I think, to use a very familiar phrase, the best really is yet to come. Uh, So I got that in there. Um, But I I think that's a legit piece of encouragement for us here, that when God starts something, he finishes it. And he's not done with us. He's still at work in us, and he wants to use us to be bearers of good news to the people around us wherever he's put us. So, end of sidebar. Uh, Back to the main story here. So as Paul reflects on this 10-year-long partnership with the Philippian believers, uh, he's filled with joy. Uh, In verses 7 and 8, he shares how knowing that they have also endured suffering as they've had to share the gospel uh, makes them feel a deep connection with them. Uh, He knows that they've not only publicly talked about Jesus with others, but they've also supported him financially and been public about their support of Paul. And these things at times have brought persecution. And yet, Paul says that knowing they've shared this experience with him has developed such a love in him that he, he says it almost rivals the love of Jesus itself. That's how much he cares for these people. That's how much joy it's brought him to do this important work together with them for years and years. So clearly, this experience of sharing the love of Jesus with others has produced a deep sense of joy in Paul's life, and that's something that we should probably pay attention to. In verse 9 through 11, we actually get to the prayer that he wanted to pray uh, for his friends, and considering the difficulty of their situation, it's actually kind of surprising what he prays, because he could have asked for good circumstances for them since things were hard. Uh, He could have asked for success in their work to share the good news of Jesus with others, but he didn't. Instead, he prayed that they would continue to grow in their own relationships with Jesus. Uh, In verse 9, he prays that their love would abound more and more. In other words, that their love would grow. And specifically, he wants their love to grow in knowledge and in depth of insight, or what we would call wisdom. And the idea here is that he wants their love to grow in such a way that it's formed out of knowing who God is and what he values, okay? So he wants their love to be shaped by these things, uh, by who God is and what he values. And the next phrase gives the reason that he wants it to be shaped by those things. It's so that they can make good decisions about how to care for those around them and to point others to Jesus, while at the same time living lives of character that's above reproach and that would please God and bring great great praise to God on the day when Jesus returns. So he wants them to both share the message of Jesus and live in such a way that reflects that Jesus is at work in their lives. So in light of all this, I want to make a couple observations about joy. Uh, And the first one is probably the obvious one here, and that is that 
being involved in the work of spreading the good news about Jesus to others can be a genuine source of joy in our lives. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Tim actually posed this next question to all of us. He, he said, what could be a greater, higher honor than to be chosen for the most important renewal project in the universe, the redemption of those around us? The thought that the God of the universe invites us to partner with him in the work of sharing his love with others is both humbling and joyous at the same time. If you've ever had the experience of being a part of somebody's journey towards following Jesus, you know how incredibly rewarding uh, that can be. There's nothing like seeing someone genuinely decide to follow Jesus and to experience new life and rest for their souls. Uh, It's something I hope everybody has a chance to experience sometime. The second observation I want to make is this. Uh, if If Paul's prayer tells us anything, it's that God's work in our lives and in the lives of those around us is a better source of joy than our circumstances are. And I think Paul's own experience is evidence of this. Uh, If we were to look forward to verses uh, 12 and 14, we would see Paul telling his readers that what looks like a setback, or looked like a setback, in other words, him being thrown into prison, has actually, he's thrown in prison for spreading the message of Jesus to others, it's actually resulted in more people hearing the message of Jesus than if he hadn't been thrown in jail. And so, the idea here is that our circumstances are not always great indicators of where we should find our joy. Uh, I do think that good, pleasant circumstances are things that we should enjoy. That's okay. We should be grateful for those things when they come. But the point, I think, of what Paul's getting at here is that even in tough circumstances, joy is still available to us if we're willing to be open to seeing how God is at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. All right, so what does it look like on a practical level for us to find joy working together to share the good news of Jesus? Um, I want to offer a couple of practical suggestions for you all. And before I do that, I just want to say this. The things that I suggest, of course, they're things you can do on your own as individuals, but they're way better if you do them together with other people. Uh, Brett reminded us last week that joy is not something to be kept to yourself. It's something to be shared. And I think when we engage in these things with other people, uh, it just ups the joy factor and the experience of that for all of us. So that said, uh, let me start here. First, I think we should take a cue from Paul and we should pray. We should pray for ourselves that, uh, and our friends who already know Jesus that our love for God and for others would grow uh, in the ways that, that Paul said it should. I also think it's important for us to start praying for the people around us that don't yet know Jesus. And there's a whole lot of different ways that you can do that. Uh, For the last year or so, I've been using an online tool called blesseveryhome.com to help me pray for my neighbors. And uh, it's kind of cool. It uses uh, public information and white pages listings to show you the names of your neighbors on a map of your neighborhood so you can see who these people are. And it is amazing how different praying for somebody by name is than praying just for the guy down the street that mows his yard at 6 a.m. and wakes everybody up, right? Um, When you attach a name to a face, 
all of a sudden it lets you know, oh, well, there's, there's maybe other people that are related to him. He's probably got a family of some kind or she has a family and there's probably a story that goes along with that. And all of a sudden you find yourself getting both curious and more compassionate towards somebody if you know their name. And so this has happened to me as I prayed for some of my neighbors. Um, and this is what it's looked like. So each morning uh, I walk our dog Pablo around the block and there's a, there's a house on the next street over that f- over the last couple of years has started to look like maybe things aren't going well in that home. Uh, there's the people who live there have become nocturnal. Uh, there's a lot of clutter in the yard and there's been reports from other neighbors of yelling and screaming and fighting in the front yard at all hours of the night. Um, so a while back, I started praying for the woman that lives there because that was the name that was on my map. And I just had the sense that maybe the man she was living with was the source of some of the negative direction that things had turned. And so uh, just whenever God would bring her to mind as I was walking the dog, uh, I would pray for her. And then a couple weeks ago, it was actually on the celebration Sunday, uh, my family was at church here in the morning. We went home, it was before we came back for Tim's celebration in the afternoon, and we had a few minutes, and so Jenny and I took the dog for a walk. And as we're coming down that street, lo and behold, this woman is actually out in her front yard with a couple of friends, and she's like never outside. And so as we walked by, she said, hi. And so we waved and said hi, and we stopped, and we had about a 10-minute conversation with her. Turns out that the guy that she was living with had been a really negative influence on her, Uh, It even caused her to lose a really good job, and she was really upset about it. But with the help of some friends, she had recently kicked the guy out of the house, and she was trying to rebuild her life. And as Jane and I walked away from that conversation, we were blown away at how God had answered a very specific prayer that we had prayed for a woman that we didn't even know. And we were so encouraged that he is at work in the lives of the people around us. And I would have missed out on the joy of that experience if I hadn't decided to begin praying for this person. And so prayer is a wonderful way to join in the work of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. And I highly recommend it. Another way that we can begin participating in the work of the gospel is by being a good neighbor. Um, And that could be literally like in your neighborhood or it could be at work, uh, it could be at school, wherever it is that there are people around you that don't yet know Jesus. And it's amazing how simple acts of kindness, like introducing yourself to somebody that you don't know. Uh, I had a neighbor who for like six years thought my name was Craig. Um, and that's, that's a fun story, but it, I had to reintroduce myself to him at one point. Um, maybe offering to pray for a neighbor or a coworker that you do have some kind of relationship with. That's how I've uh, started to go deeper in my relationship with Charlie, who's the 88-year-old man that lives across the street from me. Um, it may be taking a meal to somebody that you know who's going through a hard time, uh, or even asking for help from somebody that you're trying to get to know. It's amazing how when you put yourself in a position of needing to receive something from someone rather than always thinking like you have something to offer somebody, that it really changes the other person's willingness to be a part of the, the relationship. So, so simple acts of kindness are incredible ways to start building a relationship with people uh, and pointing them to Jesus. There's a couple of resources, um, so I don't have time to get into it too much this morning, 
that I want to point you to when it comes to being a good neighbor. Uh, there's a couple websites. One is called artofneighboring.com, and the other is called placedforapurpose.com. Uh, both the websites are connected to books of the same name, which are both wonderful, and you should take time to read them. They're short, uh, but they're super helpful. But the websites also contain a ton of practical tips on how you can start to interact with the people around you in such a way that relationally you'll be in a place where you can start talking about your relationship with Jesus. Um, lastly, there are a number of opportunities right here at New Cove that you could be involved in that are part of the work of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Uh, on the simplest way, uh, you could volunteer with New Cove Kids or our youth ministry and help younger people hear the good news of Jesus. Uh, you could be a part of uh, helping meet international students and refugees right here in our own city uh, who don't yet know Jesus but would love to meet Americans and hear their stories. Uh, we do a, a trip every summer uh, called Builders for Christ. It's a great opportunity to go with a group of folks from New Cove to help a church somewhere else uh, build or rebuild uh, or build onto part of their buildings to help increase the work that they're doing to spread the gospel in their own communities. Uh, also, every spring, we take a team of people to Central Asia to share the good news of Jesus with people from a country where it is not allowed for them to hear that message, but because they travel to the place that we go for vacation, we're able to meet them and share about Jesus in a setting that is completely safe for them and for us. So there's tons of different ways, even here at New Cove, that you can plug into to be a part of this work of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Uh, if you have questions about any of those, please grab me afterwards or talk to any of the staff. We'd love to get you connected as much as we can. Uh, as I wrap up this morning, I want to put some of that website info uh, on the screen for you guys just so you have uh, these resources available. And I really want to encourage you to take advantage of some of those. Uh, and here's why, because I, I think God wants each of you to have stories like the ones that I've told this morning of your own about how God has been at work in your life and in the lives of those around you to bring people into relationship with himself. So remember... The point of our series, uh, oh yeah, and you worship guys, you guys can come on up, uh, is that we want to offer options for sources of joy to you that have a better chance of coming through for us than the things that we might normally turn to. The reason that I think these things have a better chance of coming through for us is because the things that we're going to suggest are things that teach us about what God is like and what he values and what he loves. And so as we engage in the things that match up with the things that God loves and God values, there's a greater chance of us experience his joy. And partnering with one another in the work of getting the good news of Jesus to others is one of those sources. So let me pray for us. Father God, first of all, thank you uh, for being you. Thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for drawing us into a relationship with you, uh, that we might know you and experience life in you and experience joy. God, we want that for those around us. And so I pray uh, for each of us who would help us to see very practical ways that we can start to engage with the people around us uh, and trust you to do a work there and to help use us to point others to you. Um, it is still remarkable to me that you would invite uh, goofy, formerly long-haired, messed-up people like us uh, into your plan for bringing other people to know you, and yet you do, and I'm so grateful for that. So pray that uh, you would move each of us forward uh, at least uh, one step 
in the direction of partnering with you in that work. And God, I pray as we do that you wouldn't let us experience a greater degree of joy in you. And I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.